welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. You shall not testify falsely, that is, lie, withhold, or manipulate the truth against your neighbor or any person. Exodus chapter 20 verse 16, Amplified Bible. Hello, and welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. We're glad that you're able to join us for another episode of Anchored by Truth. Today, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, but since we are coming to the Ninth Commandment, we know we are starting to approach the end. With us today in the studio, we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., today we're going to discuss the Ninth Commandment, which we heard in our opening scripture. That means that we've gone over the first eight commandments. And in the last part of our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we had begun to discuss the fact that one common thread that binds all of the commandments is that they are all concerned with the concept of dignity. Can you give us a brief summary of what you are thinking about when you say the Ten Commandments all concern dignity? Well, before we get too far into that, I'd also like to welcome everyone to this episode of Anchored by Truth. We're glad you're here. We hope that these episodes are helpful to you and to your faith. And we especially hope that they prompt you to go back to the Bible for yourself, take a look at Exodus chapter 20, as well as the rest of the Bible, and spend some time meditating on God's Word. There's nothing that will produce spiritual fruit and spiritual power more quickly than meditating on God's Word. So the one thing we would really like to see come out of these episodes of Anchored by Truth is for people to go back to the Bible and read the Bible for themselves and read it deeply. Don't just gloss over it. Read it, think about it, meditate on it, and we know that will help you in your daily life. Well, let us think about the Ten Commandments as they unfold from start to finish. Let's think about that for just a second. The order of the commandments within the Bible is not random, and it's not haphazard. God had a reason that he put the Ten Commandments in the order that he did. The first three commandments all concern themselves with the dignity of God himself. Now, that's entirely appropriate, of course, because God existed before anything else did. God has always existed. God is self-existent. God existed before he made any part of the created order, so it's entirely reasonable that the first three commandments in the order of the Ten Commandments would be about God himself. Now, the next two commandments, the fourth and fifth commandments, concern themselves with preserving God's dignity as God's dignity begins to be manifested within the created order. The fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath refers us back to God's period of created activity. The fourth commandment tells us that we are to honor the seventh day of the week, because that was the day that God declared to be blessed. Genesis chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 say, quote, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done, unquote. 
So when God instructed Moses, the Israelites, and us to honor the Sabbath, God is directing our attention straight back to, as you said, his period of creativity. God created for six days and rested on the seventh. And we are to work for six days and rest on the seventh, just as God did. Yes. And the fourth commandment is also evidence that the various theories that somehow the first chapter of Genesis refers to six indeterminately long periods of creative activity don't make any sense. God does not intend for us to work for six periods of indeterminate activity, followed by a rest period of indeterminate activity that might be thousands of years. God used a seven-day period of 24-hour days when he gave us the fourth commandment. And that is a direct reflection of how God performed his own creative activity. Well, then the fifth commandment tells us to honor our father and mother. And that refers us straight back to God's creation of man, of Adam and Eve, and God's partial delegation of the oversight of his created order to the creature that God created in his own image, which of course was man. God conveyed a portion of his authority to Adam and Eve in what is often referred to as the dominion mandate. So we can see from this short summary that the first five commandments are all concerned with the inherent dignity of God. But of course, man also possesses an inherent dignity because man is the only creature that God made in his image. We possess an inherent dignity because we are the image bearers of God. Yes. And the 6th through the 10th commandments, like the commandments that precede them, are also concerned with dignity. The 6th commandment is concerned with the dignity of innocent human life. The 7th commandment is concerned with the dignity of marriage. And the 8th commandment is concerned with the dignity of work, of productivity. The 8th commandment says, do not steal. And that is concerned with the dignity of work because it is through our labor, through our productive activity, that we produce the goods and services that we need to sustain our lives. So if someone steals any of those goods or services, regardless of the amount of value, they're stealing our labor, they're stealing our work. They have exhibited a blatant disrespect for the labor and work of another person. That impugns the dignity of the work that went into the productive process. You know, God took his own work in creation seriously. God said that the product of his work was valuable. He said it was good. In fact, when God finished the entirety of his creative activity, he said it was, quote, very good. God highly valued the work that he had completed. He should. He made a universe with 50 to 100 billion galaxies, each of which has 50 billion or more stars. That's an impressive total of production for six days. And while our own work is not on the same scale, Anyone who is performing legitimate, productive labor may also be proud of their efforts. So if anyone steals the product of those efforts, they are just denying the producer the value. And they are demeaning the effort that went into that production. Exactly. So we see that the Sixth Commandment is concerned with the dignity of innocent human life, the Seventh with the dignity of marriage, and the Eighth with the dignity of work. Well, today we're going to see that the Ninth Commandment is concerned with the dignity of words, of speech, of truth. 
And to complete the thought, as strange as it may seem, next time on Anchored by Truth, we're going to see that the Tenth Commandment is concerned with the dignity of desire. The dignity of desire. Now, that's a phrase you probably don't hear every day. Would you care to give us a glimpse of what you're thinking about? Well, I don't want to take too much time on today's episode to talk about the Tenth Commandment. That's what the next episode of Anchored by Truth is going to be for. But suffice it to say this, too often we equate the words desire and the word lust. And as a general rule, lust is sinful. So we think we should avoid it, and we should avoid sinful lust. But desire does not need to be sinful. The Bible commands us to desire good things. For instance, in the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Well, if we want God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, then we are obviously to desire those things. We are to desire to live holy lives, to have faith, to please God. We are to desire to spend an eternity with God in heaven. Desire is a fundamental attribute of being human, and there is nothing wrong with desire. Now, there's a lot wrong with allowing our desire to be transformed into sinful lust. The Tenth Commandment tells us not to covet anything of our neighbors, and that helps us to see where we have to draw the line. So the Tenth Commandment is concerned with preserving the dignity of desire. Well, that one thread of dignity ties all of the commandments together because they are all concerned in some measure with the dignity of God, the way God imparted and impressed his dignity into creation, and then with the dignity of people because people are God's image bearers. Interesting. The dignity of desire. More about that in our next episode on Anchored by Truth. Let's turn our attention back to the Ninth Commandment, which says not to, quote, bear false witness against our neighbor, unquote, or as the contemporary English version put it, quote, do not tell lies about others, unquote. We might again think that this commandment would be unnecessary because it is so obvious, but it is necessary because we humans resort to lying so quickly when we get into trouble. And even though the commandment is often phrased as, quote, not lying about our neighbors, unquote, Christian scholars are uniform in their agreement that our neighbors isn't just referring to the people living in the next house or apartment. The Ninth Commandment is concerned with a wide variety of human behavior, including the behavior of individuals, groups, and governments. That's why we use the Amplified Bible version of the Ninth Commandment as our opening scripture. Many versions will use the phrase, quote, not bear false witness against your neighbor, unquote, but the Amplified Bible makes it plain that there are many forms of such false witness, such as withholding or manipulating the truth. Bible scholars down through history have recognized that certainly one of the primary implications of the Ninth Commandment, not to lie, has to do with giving false testimony in a trial or a judicial proceeding. But that is only one of the applications of the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment goes well beyond just one specific venue where lying is prohibited. For instance, one of the best-known Bible commentaries was written by a man named Matthew Henry in the latter part of the 17th century and the early part of the 18th century. And Henry wrote this, I'm quoting now, The Ninth Commandment concerns our own and our neighbor's good name. This forbids speaking falsely on any matter, 
lying, equivocating, and any way devising or designing to deceive our neighbor, speaking unjustly against our neighbor, to hurt his reputation, bearing false witness against him, or in common conversation slandering, backbiting, and tail-bearing, making what is done amiss worse than it is, or in any way endeavoring to raise our reputation upon the ruin of our neighbors. How much this command is every day broken among persons of all ranks. End quote. And another Bible scholar, Matthew Poole, who wrote in the 17th century, reinforces the observation that there is a wide variety of behaviors that violate the Ninth Commandment. Poole said, quote, Do not speak a false testimony or as a false witness, which doth thou not forbid perjury in judgment, but also all unjust censure, slander, backbiting, scorning, false accusation, and the like, and also requires a just and candid judgment of him and of his words and actions, speaking well of him as far as truth and justice will permit, and defending his good name against the calamities and detractions of others, unquote. Poole and Henry's observations help us to see that the Ninth Commandment, like all of God's commandments, are designed to help us recognize the sin that lurks deep within our hearts. Perversely enough, the Ninth Commandment about not lying about our neighbor is unlike the Eighth Commandment about not stealing, because lying about others often injures the victor, but doesn't do any good for the liar. William Shakespeare wrote, quote, Who steals my purse steals trash. But he who filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him, yet leaves me poor indeed, unquote. What Shakespeare is observing is that lies often destroy one person while not helping anyone else. Stealing property or money at least leaves the property or money in the possession of the thief. But you can decimate a person's reputation with a lie, and yet that may very well never improve the life of the liar. When you stop and think about it, that truly is vile. The Ninth Commandment is one area where God's commandment and the laws of other ancient cultures were very consistent with one another, because other ancient cultures took lying, especially lying in judicial proceedings, very seriously. Now, this is true because most cultures have recognized that lying in court, lying in a judicial proceeding, makes the administration of justice within the society impossible. The pulpit commentary that's available at BibleHub.com says this about the Ninth Commandment, quoting now, The wrong done to a man by false evidence in a court may be wrong of the very worst kind. It may be actual murder because it is fatal to the administration of justice. False witness in courts has been severely visited by penalties in all well-regulated states. At Athens, the false witness was liable to a heavy fine and, if thrice convicted, lost all civil rights. At Rome, by a law of the Twelve Tables, he was hurled headlong from the Tarpeian rock. In Egypt, false witness was punished by amputation. Private calumny may sometimes involve as serious consequences to individuals as false witness in a court. It may ruin a man. It may madden him. It may drive him to suicide. But it does not disorganize the whole framework of society like perjured evidence before a tribunal. And as bad as lying in judicial proceedings may be for individuals and society, the worst consequence of lying at all is that it displays an intentional disregard for God's majesty, doesn't it? 
Yes, in our day and age, we have forgotten the importance of words, speech, and language. But the Bible makes it clear that words and speech are so important that God used them to bring much of what exists into existence. In fact, God's first use of language that appears in the Bible occurs in the third verse of the very first chapter of the Bible, which is the first chapter of Genesis. And after that first use, chapter 1 of Genesis is full of and God said, such as, and God said, let there be light. God spoke the entire creation into existence. And as God did so, he started assigning names to things. Day, night, sky, land, seas, etc. Words and language are so important to God that they were the mechanism by which he created life and made the world a suitable habitation for man. And the first task, first job that God gave man involved the use of language. Adam's first task was to name the animals. Obviously, if God could give Adam a task that involved language, we know that Adam was created with the capacity for speech and language. In fact, that is one of the major attributes that separates man from all other creatures. The ability to use language, speech, and words is one of the ways that man bears God's image. Theologians sometimes use the phrase, quote, communicable attributes, unquote, to refer to attributes that God possessed that he transmitted to man. Correct. Now, I know that other creatures use sounds and audible signals to communicate with one another, but obviously the information that goes back and forth in that form of sound communication is rudimentary, and it is biological. I'm also well aware that gorillas have been taught words through stimulus and response, and that some gorillas have developed vocabularies that are very impressive by non-human standpoints. But no gorilla or chimpanzee has ever written a sonnet, and no dolphin has ever composed an iambic pentameter. The human capacity for speech, language, words, and the ability to express abstract and mathematical concepts is unique among the creatures that live on this earth. Now, we also know that angels speak and use language intelligently, but angels are, of course, much greater in power, mobility, and action than human beings are. No other physical creature besides man uses words, linguistics, and speech. So when we misuse speech and words by lying or distorting the truth, we really are committing an offense against God in a very real and fundamental way. We are, in effect, telling God that we have so little esteem or regard for the gifts He gave us that we are unconcerned about whether we use them in the manner in which He intended. In our time, Misrepresentations and distortions of the truth are so common that we come to expect them. We will use clever terms such as political spin or gilding the lily or being disingenuous, etc., to cover over the fact that someone is not telling the plain truth. We will excuse advertisers, marketers, and salespeople for making ridiculous claims and say things like, well, that's how business is done, or everybody does it. Students and politicians alike turn in their work that is not their own, as if it were. Lawyers go into court, blatantly lie, hide evidence, or use misleading arguments and claim that they are just providing zealous representation. All about us, every day we see people manipulating the truth and we grow so used to it that we never bother to call it what it is, the sin of lying. But God is never misled, and God always knows the plain truth. 
Sin is sin in God's eyes, and he sees the motivations of our hearts. Our clever and inventive ways neither mislead or please him. Exactly. God gave man the capacity to speak and use language and words, but he also gave us the choice about how we would employ that capacity. And as you just said, sin is sin. But it's not necessary to misuse words to violate the Ninth Commandment. We can withhold, distort, or manipulate the truth even when our words may be technically accurate. In my first summer at West Point, which they called Beast Barracks, or they did in those days, they gave us quite a number of classes about the Cadet Honor Code, which in those days said, a cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate anyone who does so. Well, one of the subjects that they discussed at length with us was what was termed quibbling. Quibbling was the practice of using technically accurate words that were intended to deceive or deflect. If a senior officer asked you whether you had shined your shoes and all you had really done was rub a washcloth over them, technically you would say that you had, quote, shined your shoes. But that, of course, was not what the senior officer was talking about. You knew it. He knew it. But you could technically, accurately say yes. But that was quibbling. And I suspect it rarely fooled anyone at that place. And we have an awful lot of quibbling that goes on around us these days. Quibbling violates the Ninth Commandment as do all the other detours and bypasses that are used today to manipulate the truth. So the point of all of this is that the Ninth Commandment, like the commandments that precede it, is concerned with dignity. The Ninth Commandment is concerned with the dignity of words and speech, in no small measure because words and speech are so important to God. They are so important to God that God used words and speech in the process of creating the universe. God spoke large, vast parts of the created order into existence. By words, God ordered a world that was void and formless. By words, God made living creatures out of inanimate matter and energy. By words, God made people. Well, you know, today we have more ways of communicating with language and speech than ever before. But I'm afraid that all those ways have made us far less careful in how we use words and speech, not more careful. Well, Shakespeare also said, quote, familiarity breeds contempt, unquote. We have so many ways of flinging words about. We exhibit a blatant contempt for being accurate or careful with their use. Jesus' half-brother James said in James chapter 3, verse 5 through 8, quote, The tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, unquote. That's from the New International Version. Now that is a really scary and sobering thought. The Ninth Commandment is concerned with the dignity of words, speech, and truth. And James helps us understand the danger that abounds when we misuse them. In James' day, it was far more common for ordinary people to communicate orally rather than in writing. But I have a feeling that if James were to write the same message today, 
James would note that not only is the tongue, quote, restless and full of deadly poison, but so are our fingers and thumbs. How many people ever think about the Ninth Commandment when they sit down at a keyboard and go into a social media site or get ready to send a text message? And how much of the content that circulates on the Internet violates the Ninth Commandment? And how many of us contribute to this mass of misleading content? When you think about the Ninth Commandment, the way it probably would lead to some troubling questions and consciences. God gave the Ninth Commandment to a people who were leaving a period of captivity, and they were going to establish a new nation in a new location. Well, as we heard earlier, ensuring that the truth was present in their judicial system and in judicial proceedings, that's a fundamental attribute, that's a fundamental necessity for a sound society. So in that respect, the Ninth Commandment was similar to the expectations of many ancient cultures. But at least in one respect, the Ninth Commandment was different. As Jesus would clarify during his lifetime, the neighbors that were not to be lied to or slandered were not just limited to Hebrews or Israelites. You know, in the tale of the Good Samaritan, we hear that our neighbors include even people who are not from our tribe and tongue. Well, in some cultures, then and in today, it's perfectly okay to lie to someone who is not from your tribe, from your tongue. But that's not true for Christians. It wasn't true for the ancient Hebrews. God expects us to be truthful in our speech, actions, and our treatment of all people. This does not mean that we don't need wisdom. We need wisdom because we can, but we should not, hurt people by woodenly telling them the truth. What we need to do is pray for discernment so that we will always be guided by a spirit of integrity, but one that recognizes the dangers that lurk in a fallen world. The Ninth Commandment would not have been necessary except for the fall, but the fall has occurred, and the Ninth Commandment sits behind the Sixth Commandment that prohibits murder for a reason. Like all the commandments, the Ninth Commandment restrains the sin that came from the fall But some deviations from the strict truth will be lesser sins than the ones that might follow were we to tell all we know at the wrong time. God gave us the commandments because he wants us to have the right relationship with him and a right relationship with each other. But until Jesus comes again, we still have to navigate in a fallen creation. That's one of the big reasons we wanted to do this series. The Ten Commandments are enduring ethical principles that are the basis for sound families, communities, and nations. We used to understand that, but the Ten Commandments, like all of God's pronouncements, contain and demand wisdom to correctly apply and understand them. We should be willing to devote the time and energy necessary to be sure we apply them correctly because God gave His all for us. Sounds like a good time to go to God in prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer that we may all be faithful stewards of the resources that have been entrusted to us. Faithful stewardship is evidence of our own faithfulness to the cause of Christ. Prayer to be a faithful steward. Almighty, everlasting, and eternal Father, you are the rock the only sure foundation on which we can build and hope to have our work survive. You alone can weave the twisted strands of our lives into a whole cloth that is suitable for your purposes. You alone are the sure and steady hand that preserves us from falling into the snares of the enemy 
and holds us up when we stumble. Lord, your word rightly tells us that the entire world and all it contains belong to you. It is so easy for us to forget this as we rush to and fro in our daily lives. As we go to our jobs, purchase items at the store, visit banks, and struggle with checkbooks and price tags, we easily forget that none of what passes through our hands truly belongs to us. You own it all, and no amount of striving or pulling can change this fact. Help us, Lord, to release what we cannot hold. Incline our hearts to you so that we treasure the blesser far more than the blessings. Our confidence is in him, and it is in his precious name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S, Thank you for your support.